this week on Pep Talk. I think you've got an idea that probably had a lot of idea resistance. Still has a lot of resistance. <laughs> I'm the founder of a company called Get a Drip. We do um, IV vitamin drips, uh, vitamin injections for your health and wellness. If you look back now at what you've built and what you've achieved, do you think there's any lessons you take away from the raising money process that you would do differently? Never raise money when you need it. You need to raise money when you don't need it. I think that's a great point, by the way. I mean, so many people, as you say, they wait until they need it. In fact, Mike Tyson said everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. Do you think there's a, a particular important personality characteristic that you have that's led to success that maybe other people can emulate? Our mission is to help 10 million people start and grow a business for free. We want nothing from you. In Pep Talk, we interview industry-leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how and life lessons. That's why we're excited to partner with GoDaddy to power up Pep Talk. I've been using GoDaddy for years and would promote them on this podcast even if they didn't sponsor us. You can use their free website builder and start your online business at no cost and even get help these days with naming your business. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast notes below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Maybe we could kick off by you telling the audience a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder of a company called Get A Drip. It's sort of in the name what we do, but we do um, IV vitamin drips and vitamin injections for your health and wellness. And we sort of we started going into other stuff like diagnostic testing, gut testing, DNA, blood testing, sort of all aimed at delivering you the right vitamins into your bloodstream. So in a snappy sentence, that's what we do. Pretty awesome. Now, I want to ask you how you got into this. Uh, and today's theme is kind of idea uh, resistance. A lot of people have ideas, they share them with people, people tell them no. As you're developing the ideas, people tell you it won't happen. I think you've got an idea that probably had a lot of idea resistance. So I'd like to get into that with you today, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it still has a lot of resistance. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. And I think that's a, something a lot of people struggle with. So I'd like to talk about that. Now, before we get into that and how, how you know, your tips for pushing through when you have idea resistance, can we tell us a little bit about you know, your backstory for a minute? Just how did you end up uh, doing this? Yeah, so it all starts, so I'm type 1 diabetic. Um, and long story short, you struggle with your immune system. Um, so all the all the background stuff happening with diabetes means that you have an impaired immune system, um, always ill, always run down, always jet lagged. Um, was always in hospital once or twice a year. So every time neurovirus came around, it put me in hospital. Every time bad flu came, I'd end up in hospital. Um, and I thought there must be a way around this. Um, obviously, I was taking my daily vitamin supplements um, then I came across uh, vitamin drips I actually came across them because a diabetic hangover is 10 times worse than a normal human hangover um, so I saw um, there's places doing hangover drips so I went and tried it out after my work Christmas party at PwC and I felt amazing the next day um, and that's generally what started the idea um, obviously there's I've spent a couple of years researching all the finer details but that is what the kickstart moment was for me uh, to look into vitamin drips and was it hard to quit your job and, and do this or it just, it was an instinct? Yeah, I think because a lot of people might say, just quit your job and do it. Whereas I didn't, I worked alongside my job for as long as I could until we launched and then I quit my job. Um, so in the background on the weekends and the evenings, I was doing as much prep work as I could. So I still had the security of a job. Um, and today I think a lot of entrepreneurs can, especially with flexible working, have a side hustle while still keeping their employment there's no need to sort of 
risk everything financially and put yourself under that stress if, if, if you want to go that way. Mm. It's an interesting subject because there's a lot of uh, different opinions. A lot of people on the investment side, I know a lot of investors that won't invest in someone unless that person's full time on the business. But I guess uh, I think for something like your business, probably the nuance to it of researching and understanding the market, it's going to take a long time to get all that data and all that information before you launch, right? So that, that's, a, that's wise, therefore, probably to to get that all in your pocket before you quit your job. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think so I spent a year, well, I spent a few years looking at the research, the, um, like the legals and the medical and all of that side. Um, then I spent six months building a business plan. Um, Virgin Startup, so I went with Virgin Startup, they do a startup loan up to 25k I think, um, so I ran my business plan past them, they had loads of good feedback on it, um, and so I did as much as I could to feel comfortable before I then quit my job and went full in, because once the clinic's open and everything opens, it's chaos, so um, um, then I went full in, uh, full in at that time, but um, yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't straight away, and I with tech businesses every sort of business is different but for mine I, once once it's ready to go i went straight in and obviously the business plan was in the bin anyway the next day so right. <laughs> yeah. well, that's are. an interesting point right a lot of people spend a long time building business plans i think mike tyson said everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face right yeah exactly that exactly that and it happens all the time because even when you go to do a fundraiser even when we do fundraise or we're doing a, a refinance with hsbc at the moment and you could do all your plans but the next day as soon as it's just completely kaput. It's like everything changes. So. so a lot of people ask us how uh, businesses get funded. How, how did you fund your business? Was it you working your job, funded it initially, and then £25,000 from, from Virgin Startups? Is that how it all began? What what happened? What was the process? Yeah, so, well, I'm quite lucky in a way that I've got a couple of flats that I built, uh, I so that I own, that I rent out. And so I knew when I left my business, I could support myself financially. So therefore, I needed to not financially, like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's, it's enough to get by when I launch a business. Um, and therefore, I didn't have to raise as much as someone else that might be needing to cover their salaries and other start, stuff. But I started with, um, I put some of my own money in. So I remortgaged uh, my flat I was living in and put that money in. Um, and I took a Virgin Startup loan as well. Um, I think that's 25k when we first launched. Um, and... I started looking at pre-seed investment, so pre-revenue investment, and I took uh, some investment on as well pre-launch. Uh, but that came in, I think, like the first week that we launched. I think the investor was waiting to see to make sure the concept worked, as, and it wasn't uh, everyone did it right away. Um, and then later on, a year later, before we opened in West, well, come on to like the stores and stuff, but to open Westfield, we did a, a seed round of about two hundred fifty k, and then after that we managed to raise some debt um, so I think the trick is to try and move away from selling equity to raising debt um, the risk uh, therefore is actually cheaper in the long run in terms of not selling your equity if you can build if you truly believe your business is going to make it um, if you're raising your finance with debt say say it's five percent twelve percent a year it's much cheaper than selling equity that's that might be going up 100% This is a really important point that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, I'm an angel investor, so I, I can say this, actually selling equity to angel investors or anyone isn't necessarily long-term a good idea for uh, the entrepreneur and the founder of the company. So you, you highlight a really good point here. There's other ways to finance your business, even with cash flow, dare I say, you know, the old model of actually making a business financially work and funding it growth that way. But for my American listeners, you know, Westfield is one of the premium uh, shopping malls in 
the UK. And uh, and so, um, yeah, just so, so when you mentioned that, that people internationally understand um, what, what you're doing. Now, I think the, um, the point you also just made on finance, before we move on to idea resistance, which I'm really interested in, in your view on this, but just before we move on to that, the, the finance side of things, if you look back now at what you've built and what you've achieved, do you think there's any lessons you take away from the raising money process that you would do differently for the audience listening to learn from? Yeah, I so much, <laughs> so much. So I think... Um... Never raise money when you need it. You need to raise money when you don't need it because if you raise it when you need it, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You're not thinking properly. You'll take, you might take the wrong deal. Um, so you sort of need to raise it when you don't need it. But then again, it's hard to do that because like we said, you've chucked the business plan in the bin after day one. So when do you know you're going to need it? It's quite a hard question. But you sort of don't want to be like, oh, we're going to run out of money next month. Let's do a raise. You sort of want to do it sort of pre-planned. I think that's a great point, by the way. I mean, so many people, as you say, they, they wait until they need it. In fact, you have a better negotiating position if you don't need it when you're talking about raising money because then it's a, there's the less pressure on you and perhaps more pressure on the investor to get involved. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think in terms of when you're raising money, it's all about the people that, that you're bringing on. So we've got some great investors um, and I've never, ever had an issue with my investors and they're really supportive. We've got a WhatsApp group. Um, I don't it's just such a good relationship. I've never had a problem with my investors, whereas I know um, we joined the NatWest Accelerator, which is, uh, at, we did that for six, just before, we finished it just before COVID. Um, but I met a lot of companies on that that were having, seemed to have issues with investors and board members, etc. whereas we don't have, I've never had that. So I think having that relationship is really important, it's just as important as getting the funding as well. That's another great point, actually. I think the um, how do you how do you think you've done that? Is it is it did you do a lot of due diligence on the investors, or you just got lucky, or how how did you manage to achieve that? Because a lot of people do have that problem. Uh, meet them many times, <clears throat> basically. Meet them many times over coffee. Uh, so the first investor, I sort of got a bit lucky. I was at PwC, so I was an accountant at PwC, and I had a friend there, and he introduced me to my first investor, and it just so happened that we both met and we clicked, and we really really got on really well. And so um, Nick is his name. So um, that one worked really easily. And then the second time around, we I think we'd paid at first an agency to go out and try and raise us some money, um, and we met loads and loads of individuals. And I think I just used it, it was sort of like a practice. You met like fifty different people over three or four months, um, and then again the same person at PwC just so happened knew someone. I met him. And then his uh, father-in-law ended up investing a high net worth. So, um, but again, I met him three, four, five times. Um, went to a football game together. We did stuff together to build that relationship to really know what they're like before. Um, Go to a football game together and just make sure they support the same team. Is it? Yeah, no. Well, he supports Chelsea. I support Newcastle. He took me to a Chelsea Newcastle match. So that was a. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You can also, you know, have different uh, things you like, but still get on. Yes, that's. Uh important that's an interesting point yeah it's basically if you get on with the person then you know but don't make it into the decision and that's sort of why if we were desperate for cash we might have taken it from someone else under the wrong terms not in the right scenario and then we might clash later on but like the personality clashes or something like that yeah it's, it's great advice i just want to take a moment to thank taylor brands for sponsoring this podcast have you ever been told you can easily start a business that will make money while you sleep only to realize it takes a ton of work to get a business started Taylor Brands makes starting a business easy. With its AI-powered platform, you can get your business a logo, social media designs, printed merchandise, and so much more, all in just a few clicks. 
That's why I love Taylor Brands. Whatever your idea is, you can make it look legit in a day and actually start selling through the Taylor Brands platform. For 40% off your first order, check out the links in the podcast notes below and use the code PEP. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Now, idea resistance. Let's talk about this for a minute. I noticed that you didn't do the, 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 the normal family and friends round conversation. Sounds like you went straight to a kind of professional structure on the investment side. But idea resistance, did you get it from your family? How did you, how did you, how did you manage this? When people hear your idea, I'm sure there were some people that didn't believe it was possible. Yeah, well, so before I started, everyone done that. You do the standards, like you look on Google, how do I verify my idea? Or, I don't know, I'll do a questionnaire. So I did this sort of questionnaire, um, fired it around friends and family about like how much would they pay to get rid of a hangover. And because it was at the beginning, I was looking at, oh, maybe this could be like a hangover cure. Um, not that you could claim that it is. But um, so that's what I was looking at. And I got feedback that way. And then I sort of started telling people, I've talked to family, like, oh, there's a bus there's a bus in like vegas called the hangover bus and literally just drives around fixing hangovers around vegas and i thought oh, i can have a bus that does it around london and that was the original idea um so yeah i did verify it in that way sort of around friends and family and they that that got a lot of um interestingly when you say oh ivy drip for hangover and i was like oh yeah i've heard of that oh yeah that could work but then when what we do now is vitamins and nutrients to like for optimal health so the hangover was the years and years ago the first idea and before we even launched we already then looked at all the benefits for all the other things and then it's actually trying to convince people the resistance is oh actually vitamin drips are good for all these other things as opposed to the original idea that i sort of was looking at it for did you find that your family uh, supported the idea from day one or, or you know how did that all play out yeah, well, I think they all know I'm a bit crazy anyway. I think you do have to be a bit crazy to be an entrepreneur. So I think someone like my mum, I'd tell her, she oh, that's a silly idea, and then that's it. Uh, but then I'd go and do it. She probably still tells me now it's a silly idea. Uh, even like when we're opening franchises in other countries, she's like, oh, that's a silly, silly idea. Like, but she, she she, just knows, they, they believe that you can do it, so they know you, so they believe you can do it. Um, and I think as an entrepreneur, you're always on a going to be a few wavelengths above. So if you have people in your family that are at that wavelength, then fine, you're going to be able to discuss it, but quite often not. That's why there's a lot of entrepreneur groups and entrepreneurs get on really well because they're discussing things up here that most people sort of haven't had the vision yet to see how it, how it works. So, yeah, I think people just think that you're crazy when you're discussing the ideas. Um, that's for your friends and family. Um, but, yeah, we've got the distance everywhere. That was like just discussing the idea, let alone um, trying to pitch it to landlords. That's always a fun one. Right. Well, I was going to ask. So, when you go to you know one of these premier locations and and pitch your idea, what was that like? Did did that, how did you push back against probably their resistance? Yeah. So when we first launched, we pitched. I think it's British Land. Um, we put the idea on. Uh, can we take a, a shop somewhere? Everyone was like, no. The board were like, what? What? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what IV vitamins straight into? Not no, no, not for us. And um, so everyone said no. So basically, I couldn't find a location anyway for a year and a half. Couldn't find a location. Um, so then the British, uh, one of the guys, Ross at British Land said, you know what, um, put, it, put it on wheels and you can move it to different locations to try it. So originally, which is the one thing I've changed if I could do it again, but I probably wouldn't be able to change in reality, was we had to build a van. So we had to build a mobile clinic and then we uh, we went on a pier here. I think we had a site originally in a car park in Shoreditch that got cancelled and we eventually got a site on a pier here down the street with no footfall uh, to launch this idea. And it was on a van on mobile wheels because we're not sure if anyone's going to not like us and then move us along. So that's originally how the idea started. Uh, we tried to get into Box Park. We tried to get everywhere. Everyone said no. 
um, I think within three months of launching, because we had this huge PR and press campaign and used lots of influencers in the wellness industry, um, suddenly Box Park asked us if we wanted to move in. So um, the trying to our big thing is we put our clinics now in big in your face places in the open um, to really make it mainstream and it's worked. Uh, so we were um, couldn't get anywhere. We opened in Box Park and then one day someone at Westfield walked past up my site at Box Park, messaged me and said, "Have you ever do you want have you thought of opening in Westfield, Shepherd's Bush?" And I was like. I'd love to open there. No one's ever like, it suddenly went from, I was to ask hundreds of people and I said no, to then Westfield saying, do you want to come and open in Shepherd's Bush? Um, which we did. And then since we opened at Shepherd's Bush, I probably get an email every two days now from a landlord, every major landlord. Um, we, we've got a green Westfield to roll out across the 82 sites in Europe with our franchise over the next five to seven years. Um, as a lot of places now, suddenly the world's turned to wellness and health focused partly due to COVID, partly because it's happening anyway. Um, and so Westfield are now saying, actually, we're going to build these wellness and service hubs where you might have all these, well, like you might have classes and juices and these sort of healthy wellness stuff. And they want us to like, sort of be a flagship within that. So we went from no one letting us in to suddenly everyone wanting you, um, which is... Uh, I think you're highlighting something really important for the listeners uh, to pick up on, which is... If you did market research and went and asked all the shopping malls, for example, would they like to do this? And they all said, no, you might never try other methods. Just assume there's not a market for it. People don't want it. Um, and so what, by going and executing it and putting it out there and making it actually happen, you created a better way of selling, which is people come to you reactive sales as opposed to pre proactive sales. Sometimes that's people see what you're doing and come to you, which, like you said, instead of you calling 200 people and them all saying no, um, they're calling you, which is a much better sales process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it, it's all about, like you say, product market fit. And, and I think like, I think the book, The Lean Startup, I, I think it's an all right book, but basically the moral is you try and make uh, a test model for as cheap as possible to see if it's if it's going to work. Um, but for us, that was really difficult. I can't just go, oh, let's take a little picture of King's Cross and start jabbing people with needles in the middle of it. Like, you need to do your medical stuff. So, if we'd done, if I like, if I, if we to do it again, you'd say, right, we'll take a picture of King's Cross and we'll just keep people drips in the middle of the train station uh, platform. Uh, in reality, you've got all this medical sign-off and all these other things that we needed to do, which meant that that wasn't even possible for us. So I'd always recommend entrepreneurs try and do like the smallest test model that they can before they launch. Uh, but like I say, people might say, oh, it's not going to work. Luckily for us, we knew there are some high-end clinics down Harley Street that were char charging at the time thousands of pounds, what we now offer for a hundred pound. And so I knew that the elite. At the elite and um, high net worth and celebrities and people like that were already doing it and it worked for them. Um, so it's just whether it's going to take to the mass market. Really. So that was your marketing strategy from day one. How, what was what was the strategy from day one? Yeah, so affordable IV vitamin drips was the strategy. Um, when we first launched our drip for about fifty pounds, but after about four months, we realised that's a bit too cheap. Um, nursing medical staff is quite expensive. A bigger overhead than. I thought at the beginning, um, but yeah, so originally went out affordable IV vitamin drips and it sort of changed for like health optimization now, but we're still the cheapest by a long way uh, or the most affordable. During COVID period, did you think, I know, uh, let's do this at home? Has that been a, a branch out? Uh, we've always done it at home. So a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people always want to drip. Like if you're hungover at home, you do not want to get out of bed and <laughs> so often you call or if you're run down cold, flu or whatever the illness or whatever you're run down quite often you don't want to leave the comfort of your bedroom anyway 
So we've always done that. But during COVID, we definitely pivoted to do 100% call out. So we had to, I can't remember, there's a zip car is the app. So we ended up getting a zip car and go around and doing booster. We had full PPE, medical PPE. We do booster shops and people's our regular clients on their doorsteps without going in the house. So uh, we pivoted to that. Another great point you just made there uh, by accident, which is, you know, instead of going out and having your own car and buying cars and having all that additional capex cost, you uh, you used an existing structure, zip cars in this case. Again, for people in America, these are cars you hire via an app. Uh, that, that's a great way of managing your new additional cost of, of the delivery, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we always try and plug into something first to try and test it before we. Um... Yeah, exactly. We need to get that. You need to get them as a sponsor now. Yeah, Zipcar. Yeah, There's, we use Uber all the time as well. Free. You just you just plug them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Accidental get a drip, plug. Get a zip. Yeah. It even right. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Get a zip. I want. I want my sponsor. But um, yeah. So, but that zip car. So you drive it. So we had a driver, and then it was much easier. But generally, we'll use stuff like Uber or equivalent to do call outs for our nurses. Get a drip will soon be in America. Everyone will know about that soon. But what about the? You mentioned their franchise model. What about the future plans? Is 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 the franchise model the way to go? A lot of people ask us about franchises, and and how do you feel about that model? So if a lot of companies and startups now want to scale 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 um if you're bricks and mortar you pretty much have to use franchise if you want to scale uh, the cost of opening and paying for a fit out of a shop and then the opex of having all your staff and operating a shop and then managing all that is massive compared to say a tech firm so if you want to scale rapidly for bricks and mortar which is what we are um, and service physically delivered you really have to look at um, franchise i think it's not we're not a tech we're not like a starting bank or an Uber or something like a delivery or whatever. We, I think with physical premises, you sort of need that franchise to do it. Um, we spent a year and a half, two years prepping for our franchise before we actually did it. So we used some consultants, we met with them a lot. We needed to prove our model more. We needed more numbers. We needed more um, structure. But at the beginning, I spent every process we have in place at Get a Drip was built from the ground up. So I, that prep work I said I did, with a, like all the systems talk to each other, all the data is there, and it's all automated. We're a paperless clinic, and we still are. I put all of that process in place to make us really efficient from the get-go. And so franchising was a bit easier because of that, because it's easier to copy that process. Another great insight for people listening, if you're starting a business or you're building a business, to suddenly have the idea of doing a franchise probably won't work because actually there is a lot of back office structure and, like you say, proof of concept and support. It's a B2B business, isn't it, a franchise? You, 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 you've got a bit of a mix going on right now, but your end consumer is, a, is B2C. Right, what you're talking about is becoming also a B2B business, servicing those franchises as a, as a whole separate customer service team for example right yeah a franchise business is completely different to uh, the, the b2c business completely different Every, um we've just got our accreditation with the british franchise association and to get that there's quite strict rules so if you just if you start winging your franchise you may, may never get accredited which is quite a hard thing so you've got to do the planning up front meet the consultants they'll tell you you need all these types of paperwork you've never heard of before uh, which all makes sense once you start down that journey but you're yeah, having that structure in place and getting that all ready is really key to that and it's um it's the next step you mentioned having a company advise you but is there an exhibition you go to for franchisees and that, that sort of stuff is that is how yeah so the british franchise association run their own exhibitions twice a year and um, but you have to be applying to be a member or a member so they you have that higher quality to make sure it's not just a money-making scheme or something like that so we go to their ex- exhibitions we went to our first one 
in October just gone. So that was in Birmingham. Uh, and then there's a couple of others that run with that or alongside that that we're going to do as well. Can I, can I ask about uh, a thing that p- pops up a lot? People ask us about um, protecting a name. Like Get a Drip is quite a generic name. Did you manage to trademark it? What's, what's your take Yeah, on so we've trademarked it all over the shop. Like, all of Europe, UK, US, many places. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a sort of a slang, but it's sort of not used as a name if that makes sense so we've not seen it used as a name so you you, ha- you managed to get it trademarked and you have that that's 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 a very important step isn't it actually especially with a franchise you need to have that name locked in so that no one can just start doing it yeah yeah exactly yeah so yeah we put that was one of the when we first started we made sure we trademarked the name obviously leaving the eu it's a bit more a bit more difficult but because you used to be able to, you used to, be able to get a trademark here and it cover all eu countries and now you have to get one for the uk and one for the eu uh, but yeah when you first launch you should probably get the trademark anyway, but it's always hard to say, I want to pay a couple of thousand pounds or a thousand pounds or whatever to go get a trademark if, you, if you're struggling to pay 50, 100 pounds for something else. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's critical though. And you can actually categorize, in England anyway, you can pay 200 pounds, do it all online and you have your name protected because if, if Get a Drip as you scale up is actually owned by someone else, you'd have to stop the whole business. You even have like, past liability issues right with someone saying you're passing off and they can actually claim your past income so this is a warning i, I like to give people um, but you're right i mean when starting a business it's not always easy but at least you can check on the trademark registration for free that it's not already there so you don't start a business and, and later uh, find yourself having to spend a lot more than a thousand pounds to restructure and rebrand so yeah definitely yeah, checking that and then checking company's house register is always um yeah, yeah. Well. Companies' house can sometimes be a little bit of a, a, a misleading thing because you can have HSBC Limited. There's no, you just can't operate as HSBC Limited with a trade under the banking uh, structure, right? So, so sometimes you, you could still register HSBC, you know, uh, Richard Chambers Limited, and, and that that would be registered at Companies' house, no problem. But you couldn't trade you could as trade market. Yeah, it's, it's similar like Alphabet and Google and stuff like that. Exactly, and people do get this confusing, so confused. So it's, it's a good one, and I like get a drip. I think that's really catchy. I, I don't want to uh, the opposite to wellness and say McDonald's. I'm loving it, but it's got that catchy positive vibe about it you know get a drip's got it's got it's got that vibe so it's great that you trademarked it so just finally wrapping up because i know we only have you for a short time today um if you had to do it all again what would you do differently in your business i would have tried to get into box park sooner because i think obviously there's people not i think we probably could have gone to box park and had a store straight away we would have saved a lot of money uh on the van which we, we could have had another second location much sooner within a year so we'd probably be double the size we are now so i would have gone straight in with the clinic at box park um and i would have done my branding we did a rebrand after about a year and a half i probably would have done it from the get-go but the guy at the time i thought oh that's expensive and then after a year i was like that's not expensive because we went out and got loads of other folks and so really if i was to do it again i would have moved straight into box park and the branding guy that we use now who does all our stores so our stores and our website are all branded nicely together i would have got him to do that piece of work at the beginning and move straight into the store um but is, might, is, a, is it fair to it. say the sum up of that would be you know if you if you, you've got to think why not think big maybe you you initially didn't quite think big enough yeah definitely i think brand is i think people just think brand is just like a logo it's not it's like every, it's like what people say about you behind your back when you're not listening uh and so there's loads of bits to it there's a pr there's a marketing there's a logo there's a consistency of colors there's the way you treat customers and all of that piece um would have wrapped that up sort of at the beginning a bit better but um 
and obviously spent less money on stuff everywhere <laughs> and on the bits I knew that worked that I didn't know then. But that's an impossible that hindsight. Is a, is a Do you think there's a, a particular important personality characteristic that you have that's led to success that maybe other people can emulate? I think people think that, but really it's all about open mindset. Um, so if you have, like, for those that might not know, if you have an open and closed mindset, if you have a Google, sort of like, if someone says no, try again, rather than give up, um, that's, that's the mindset, so like grit, determination. Um, but if you, if you don't have an uh, so like, optimistic personality, you might be more likely to have an open mindset than a pessimistic personality, but you can still train yourself to have an open mindset. And um, so I really think, yes, entrepreneurs are probably a bit lucky because they might have it a bit more natural to them. They might have that vision, they might have that grit, and they might have that optimistic personality that all come together naturally but if you don't have that i don't think you need to worry about it just have a look at what open open mindset is and just follow follow that yeah i think that's a really good point i I actually believe anyone could be an entrepreneur no one's born anything no one's born a doctor no one's born a lawyer everyone needs training and one of those training elements is an open mindset seeing the opportunity instead of the reasons not to do something and taking risk so uh well richard you personified that and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us today it's been wonderful to have you on the podcast i hope we can have you back as you uh, expand we'd love to hear how you're doing it and how you're doing thank you very much for coming on today no thank you for having me thank you very much for having me. thanks for listening to pep talk we hope you enjoyed it don't forget to follow The Purposeful Project on all our social media channels where we're giving away even more free business secrets and entrepreneurial value. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor GoDaddy for powering this podcast. From naming a business to buying a domain name to building your website for free, GoDaddy has you covered. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast note below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. See you next time, entrepreneurs. And remember, you're not alone.